In this episode of In the Open with Luke and Joe, we are bringing you a conversation with Gabriela de Caraz. Gabriela is the Chief Data Scientist for AI Strategy and Innovation at IBM, and she is active in a variety of open source and community organizations. Before we welcome Gabriela, let's say hello to my co-host, Giuseppe. Hey, Luke. How are you, my friend? How's the, how's the weather over there? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you for asking. And the weather here is beautiful. And I must say, I thought August was supposed to be this hot sweltering month. And somehow it feels like June was hotter than August. So yeah, yeah, it's been a little bit cooler and nice. It's funny, I look at your background, and I just have no clue what the weather is or what's going on over there. But I've got windows, I've got sunshine. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, happy to be alive. Can't argue with that. (laughs) Yeah. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Gabriella. Very good. Awesome. It's Friday. Yes. Happy to be alive on a Friday (laughs) and a sunny day. How's the weather where you're at? Right now it's cloudy, but I heard that it's going to be very hot. Okay. Good luck. Yeah. You're out West, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you had to deal with any of the smoke issues? Has that been a problem? Not yet. And I'm just waiting and waiting because I know that it's coming, but I don't know when. We've had a little bit of air quality issues out here, I think because of fires in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Do you know, Luke? I know it was a, a remarkable distance, thousands of miles. This The smoke made its way to the East Coast and caused some air quality issues. It's crazy stuff. Anyway, Gabriella, why don't you tell us about yourself? Absolutely. Yes. So my name is Gabriella de Quiroz, and I'm a chief data scientist here at IBM California, and I'm working on the AI strategy and innovation. So I work on driving AI adoption across existing and potential customers. And I also lead uh, the outreach strategy across our open source ecosystem and data science community. And before, that's a new role that I just joined a few months ago. So before that, I was a program director working with open source data AI technologies. And I was leading a team of developers who became the first IBM committers on projects like TensorFlow, PyTorch, Apache Arrow, and others. And as Luke mentioned before, I'm passionate about making data science available to everybody, and I'm very actively involved in several organizations to force inclusive community. So I found two organizations which we are going to talk, I know we are going to talk about this a little bit later. One, it's Our Ladies, and the other one, it's AI Inclusive. So it's a pleasure to be here with you all. Thank you for joining us. And it's fascinating how all of this, to me, it's like this Venn diagram of how it aligns, right? Where it's like the open source, the community work, but then it ties into like, these are the foundations of what are making it into, you know, enterprise scale business. Totally. They all come together. And throughout my career, like things that I didn't know exactly if it would make an impact in the future, it all now makes sense. And it's so interesting to see how things come together from previous things that you did, from current things that you are, you are doing, that's going to impact future things you are going to be doing. So that's amazing. I'd like that. And one of the things we try to talk a lot about on this show is the path of a developer and a career path. And it's interesting to hear that where it's like, follow that passion, follow the interest. And sometimes you don't know what it means in the moment, but you find a way to make it useful later and to build on it. Totally. Yeah. I joke that throughout my career, there are a lot of pieces that was like, I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I don't know if I'm deviating from my career, but I want to do this. It's something that I'm passionate. I really enjoy doing this. 
And several years later, here I am using the skills that I developed 10, 15, 20 years ago. So let me give you an example. I was a music producer. So I was the one scheduling concerts, going to the newspapers, sharing about the new concerts for the the bands, the whole pre-production, setting up everything that they needed, the whole equipment and the post-production show as well. I used to do that. So there are a lot of like communication, making sure that everything was working smoothly, making sure that I'm supporting my band and the team behind So many of those things I use now as a manager, as a leader, for example. So it's just amazing to something I did 20 years ago. I still use it. Before I was like, why am I doing this? I'm totally doing something totally different from the normal career that I was aiming for. Yeah, that's fascinating. And we didn't really, we didn't get into this in any of our prep stuff. So that's really, that's amazing. And for me, it's really similar too. I've been playing in bands since I was young and organizing shows and really trying to foster a community and and helping that community to grow and be successful. And it totally applies to the work that I do now in advocacy and and just engagement. That's fascinating. And and I was going to ask you too, like you haven't been with IBM for very long. We folks at IBM are run into other IBMers that have been there for decades, literally 30 years and such. So I was going to ask you, what what were you doing before you came to IBM? It's interesting to hear about your music stuff. Is there something in between and how'd you get here? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been with IBM for three years, not very long. And it's so interesting because yes, we do see people that have been with IBM for so long. And so before IBM, I was working in different startups here in the Bay Area. So before joining IBM for about six years, five years, I was working in different startups, doing more like data science, hands-on work, and then leading team, building team. And before that, I was back in Brazil, where I am originally from. Back in Brazil, like going back the years, I was working inside a university as a researcher. So I was working with research on air pollution and how the air pollution affects people's health. So I was using statistics applied to public health. So I was there for several years working in the research environment. Before that, that's when I mentioned I was working with music for about five, five years with different singers, different bands. I don't play instruments, even though I do love instruments. I know a little bit of harmonica. I do have five different ones. But I don't know like the, the, the theory behind music. I, I don't know much. One day I'll go back and learn more. But I do love harmonica. And even before that, I was a private tutor. As soon as I finished uh, or I was in the last year of my high school years back in Brazil, I started becoming or being a private tutor. So I would teach students math, chemistry, and physics. And I did that also like for several years. It's like one of the things that I'm most passionate about, which started back in the days as a way for me to share what I know, to teach others, to share my knowledge and, and so on. Yeah, It's really interesting how all of that stuff ties together. I, I find looking back on my trajectory, lots of similar kind of things that sort of converge and, and lead to, you know, where you are now. It's really interesting. 
I can't believe that we didn't pre-plan talking about air quality and that it just randomly came up in the the intro and it turns out you were an air quality researcher. Cool. I'm curious about the open source stuff that you have done and are doing currently. And tell me more about your open source work. Yeah, so I've been involved with open source in different ways. For several years, through our ladies, I've been involved more on the community side. So let me go back a bit. So R is a programming language that it's used by data scientists, data analysts, anyone dealing with data probably knows what R is. It's similar to Python. A lot of people use Python, R, both. And I started using R when I was doing research back in the days, the, the air pollution research. And I was more like a consumer, right? I was using the language, not much contributing back to the language, but I was already involved with the open source language. And then uh, in 2012 is when I founded Our Ladies. And then I got more into the open source, which is interesting because people think that Contributing to open source means contributing code, which is not the only way for you to contribute. There are several ways around that you can do, things that you can do that it's very important as a way to contribute to open source. So community, for example, is one of them. Going back to the open source work, then I moved to IBM. When I joined IBM, I was the open source group, the open hack open source group. So the team and myself, we had two folds. We were either creating open source projects and making available to the community, or we were contributing to existing open source projects that were created by different organizations, different companies, or foundations. So we had these two paths that we did in the open source. And yes, let me, since we are on this topic, let me talk about two projects because those two projects that we created, and we talked about this before, is the model asset exchange and the data asset exchange. So one of the goals of our organization was to like democratize AI, right? So like we know that AI, deep learning, it's so complicated, especially if you are a beginner, especially if you have no idea how things work in the back end. So then one of our goals was to make deep learning more accessible for people. So we, for the model exchange, for example, we would get some state-of-the-art deep learning models and we would wrap in, in a Docker container using a framework. So the only thing that you needed to use or consume your deep learning model was to install Docker and get it running. So we would surface APIs that you could use in your application and consume. And on top of that, the thing that we are always thinking about is every time we create an open source project, we have to think about usability. We have to think about who is going to be using this project. So we are not only delivering projects, but we are thinking about the usability, the documentation, examples, and also going to conferences and talking about the projects through like talks, tutorials, workshops, etc. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm curious how it's going. I feel like this space is still young in terms of the broader audience consumers. I know it's it's been data and AI has been happening for a while, of course, but I think in terms of the general public, general tech public, it still feels fairly new. Is how are you does it seem like it's going? The open source work that's been happening. I would say it's going full motion. 
right? Not only from the IBM side, but of the whole community. I still think like we have a gap in the open source, especially the data and AI side, because we don't have enough people working on it, for example. So you see, in general, open source project, we see developers being burned out because they have been working so heavily on the side project. Usually it's a side project. So there's a huge gap of like contribution, people contributing back and the investment that also companies are doing to their open source projects, which is something that we should talk about because, for example, at IBM, and not a lot of people know, we have so many developers that they are getting paid to work full-time in open source projects. That's their work. They are giving back to the community through contributions, through codes, through documentation, through even the community, as I was mentioned before. Yeah, it's interesting. I take every opportunity I can to talk about that. Like IBM dedicates a lot of resources and money and people to the work in open source. And yeah, yeah, it, it, we, we see this as well in the space that I operate in, the JS JavaScript space and OpenJS Foundation, like trying to get other companies to be able to dedicate not just people, but money and, and resources and attention to the work that we need to do. And one area in particular that we're talking about is like security. We've got security fixes that need to get done right away. And we can't just wait till some developer has the time to on the weekend or something to contribute. So that's something we're focused on. I don't know if you're seeing anything similar where you're at. We see that there is sometimes a gap. And, and sometimes the other piece is, which is interesting, a lot of products in general, not only IBM products, they use open source in the back end. And then there are some features that they need or like some bugs that they encounter that they need to go back to the open source project and say, hey, there is a bug here or we really need this feature. Right? So then what do you do if you don't have enough people working on the open source project? It's delaying the products or it's like creating headaches for the product owners because they cannot move or go beyond the bug because there is no one working on this and they depend or rely on open source projects. So it's such a huge deal because we all are consumers and users. Everybody is using open source in some way or the other. Yeah, whether you know it or not, I'm in a bunch of meetings, internal and external, and, and thinking about the internal ones, we're, we're often just meeting uh, regularly to just talk about these things, like what's going on, what should we be concerned about, are there areas that we need to spend a little time or add some extra people to try and cover? Is that project that we've been concerned about moving into open governance or do we have something to worry about there? You know, like we're always trying to be prepared and ready to do what we need to do because we do build a lot of uh, our products and, and platforms on this open source. Yeah, no, absolutely. And talking about open governance, it's another interesting topic. And I'm going to mention something that we were working on, the whole trustworthy AI base that we as IBMers, we work very heavily on. There were three projects, actually four projects that we donated last year to the Linux Foundation. So now it's under the open governance. There are four main projects. One is the AIF 360, so the AI Fairness 360, which is a set of tools for you to mitigate bias in your machine learning pipeline. The other one is around explainability. 
And if you want to go to the URL, you just change AIF to AIX. So it's the same URL. So uh, it's around explainability. So that's the second project. The third project is around fact sheet. It's another project that we donated as well. The fourth project is art, a virtual robustness toolkit. And I'll share on this. I didn't have all these URLs ready. Poor Luke is trying to find all the URLs that I'm saying now, but we can share on the channel later. Yeah. And the, the, the other one, it's art. So all of them now, it's under the Linux Foundation. And there are other projects that we created inside IBM that we donated to the Linux Foundation, for example. There are so many other examples that you probably, Joe, knows about that IBM also donated to a foundation or open governance. Yeah, there are so many, whether it's the Apache Software Foundation or the Linux Foundation or or, or what have you, Eclipse, so, so much work that we do on a regular basis. And I do find that open governance is something we really should be talking more about. I've done a lot of talks in the past, you know, about just contributing to open source and getting involved and stuff, but I've been talking more and more about like open governance and why that's important and why that's a good place to get involved and certainly be aware of and yeah, get involved overall. Uh, speaking of talks, I, I know we one of the things we talked about, you give a lot of talks, huh, Gabriella? I do, and I love it. It's something I say, it's a way for me to increase my resilience. It's like the way that I get energized. So especially if there is a week where, oh my God, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. Then there is a talk and then everything shifts. So for me, it's a way to getting back this energy. And it's just something that I, I really like doing it. And I also say that luckily, IBM is very supportive and was one of the things that draw me to joining IBM is the support for you to being out there, to talk, to travel, to share your knowledge. And I do that very constantly. Yesterday, just to give an example, yesterday I gave a keynote on this big conference called Bioconductor. And then today I'm here talking to you. I'll find a way to, to find a space in my agenda to go and give a talk. And last year, because everything was online, it was like easier for me to be on the stage more often because I didn't have to travel. Because traveling can be a little bit tricky, especially if you have a family and you have to be on a plane and, and away from the family. So it's like tricky. But then because everything is online right now, I've been trying to do as much as I can to take advantage of the online environment. The other, the other thing is now I'm able to reach and talk to people that I would never have this opportunity before because I would not either have time to travel to that place or because it was just like impossible for me to be there. So now I'm able to connect with different communities because we are doing all these online conferences, meetups and events. That's really interesting. And I, I hearing a lot of the events that are starting to be planned in person now are going to be hybrid events. So it seems like this part of what we've been doing during pandemia is going to stick for a while at least. And you're right. It's great because it democratizes it because not everybody can afford or has the time to go to the conference, but they should be able to access that information. Absolutely. I, and I love that. The whole democratization, I do love that because now everybody can go and watch. But I, I have to say, I do miss in-person events. I do miss being there, like feeling the energy of people live, going to stage live. I do miss that piece. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we spend so much time on our computers. When you have an event on your computer, you're like, oh, all right, I might go make a sandwich too. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what I've been doing lately? Well, a while now. Um, some of the presentations that I do online, I, I have a stand-up desk. So I do talk standing up because it emulates that I'm on stage, which I can walk a little bit more. I can have more gestures. I really talk with my hands, but I can have more gestures, more like body movements. So I do try to be standing up to emulate the same energy that we do when we are in person. Yeah, that, that's smart. I wish I had a standing desk. I would do that as well. <laughs> and I was just thinking, too, to tie a few of the things together that we're talking about, IBM and the work that they do in open source, and also thinking about like research and inventions and things like that. And then also just being people being at IBM a long time. I knew this guy, Ray, who I just met at a coffee shop. And turns out he worked for IBM for 40 years. And he invented the ECG, the electrocardiogram, the original one in the 70s. And then uh, he did it for IBM, invented it there, and then traveled the world talking to people about it and sharing the work there. It's really fascinating. So IBM has been doing this for a long time. (laughs) You know, what we're doing today, it's a long time at IBM. It's really... I didn't know that. So today I learned. I would... I have a thought about this too. Doing the podcast and being an advocate, I've gotten to meet so many people across IBM. And I actually just released on the IBM Developer Podcast channel this week an interview with Kevin Roach, who is a 37 or 38 year IBMer. He's a physicist. He designs all of the apparatus and the automation out at Almaden, which is the San Jose Research Facility. And they have, he took me on, I went on a tour right before pandemic hit. It is like you're in a spaceship. It's buzzing and popping and all of this stuff. And I I had no idea, but IBM has is like the innovator in Spintronics, which is essentially like 3D printing of individual layers of atoms inside these big vacuum chambers. So you've got it's, it's not semiconductors, it's metals and insulators. And then it moves through like this factory inside of essentially a, like a space vacuum. And then it prints individual atoms. And then because they're individual atoms, they interact on a quantum level. So this is how IBM revolutionized the hard drive in the 1990s. They're able to essentially like print microelectronics at that level. And that same laboratory, if you've ever seen A Boy in His Atom, it's a, a film made with actual atoms. It's a like a stop motion animation made with atoms. They did that as well. IBM invented the electron tunneling microscope. They do all kinds of pure research that normally only happens at the university level. But the difference is now we're able to fund that, what do they call it? White space research. But because, and, and maybe we sit on it for a while, but it's much easier for us to take it to product than it is for it to happen in the research university and take it to a product. So it's we really stand alone in pure scientific research that makes itself to products. There's almost no companies in the world, maybe very few that, that do the kind of research we do. No, absolutely. And amazed me every day. It still amazed me every day, all the, the innovation that we are doing inside IBM. Every day there is something like this you were saying, Luke, or what Joe was saying. Like, there was always something like a story or something that someone invented inside IBM or someone come, comes to me and say, oh, this was invented by IBM. I'm like, really? I had no idea. There is always something. I would say that we touch in different aspects every day, different pieces. We are always doing innovative stuff. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I was at, this was just before the pandemic too, was at the research center with one of our other colleagues and it's like, oh, I want to introduce you to this guy. He wrote the first like garbage collector for uh, whatever platform. I was like, oh, that's really, that's fascinating. You just walk around and uh, meet folks at IBM who have done interesting things. They, everybody's got a story. It's really fascinating. Uh, th- this might be a good spot, Luke, to take a moment and, and do some uh, some plugging of some of the other things that we were uh, discussing earlier. How Absolutely. I had to unmute myself. I was about to speak and then I, I caught it. Um, <laughs> thank you for tuning in to In the Open. You can always find our latest shows as well as all the past episodes on ibm.biz in the open. So we're a live stream show. We do it twice a month, but all of it also gets published as a podcast. But all of our podcasts are at actually here developer.ibm.com forward slash podcasts. So we just launched a new one this week. I want to tell you about Z application platform talks. So this is what's running on mainframes, like the, not the mainframe itself and not the applications, but like the platforms that you could run applications on mainframes. And if you're not familiar with this, it's fascinating space. Mainframes are still incredibly vital to the world. This is another one of those rabbit holes we could go down. Mainframes are just remarkable pieces of machinery. Some of them have been running for decades, literally decades. They can hot swap update. If you're, if you're into anything, if if you like cars, you'll like mainframes. If you, if you like music gear, you'll like mainframes. It's fascinating stuff. So yeah, you can check out all of our podcasts on IBM Developer Podcasts. And I should also mention, we're about to launch a data and AI podcast with Gabriella. So you're going to be hearing a lot more from her on our channels. And that will be coming up in a few weeks. I will post some uh, information about when that will be on our site. But uh, yeah, please tune in. And as always, developer.ibm.com. We have all kinds of content there. We've got blogs, we've got videos, we have code patterns, we have learning paths. There's all sorts of wonderful content there. So please check that out. Yeah, and I'll just say too real quickly on on this show, we just lined up a few more guests that I'm pretty excited about. I don't know if we want to share yeah. any of that, but uh, yeah, we got uh, what's next. I think James Snell is going to talk to us, who's who actually used to work at IBM. He went to Nearform, and then I moved from a role I was in to the team that he had left. I'm excited to talk with him about the work he's doing at Linux Foundation Health, another kind of org under the LF, and they do COVID tracking and, and passport stuff. The work that they're doing has been adopted by a number of countries in, in the EU and such. We're going to talk with Robin Ginn, the executive director of the Open JS Foundation. I'm really excited to uh, to talk with her, and she's I think going to have some stuff to announce and talk about there. And who else? There's somebody else that we had booked recently as well. Parul Singh. She is a lead developer at Red Hat and does a lot with innovation. And I've met her through some of the stuff that's happening around quantum and getting quantum onto the cloud. She's going to be a fascinating guest. Yes, yeah, so we got some good stuff coming up. Great. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Let me interrupt you here because we're talking about innovation. And the work that I'm doing now, it's around innovation as well. Well, not a different type of innovation, but we were talking about IBM innovation. So one of the things that I, I feel and I know is we have a lot of innovation inside IBM coming from different parts of IBM, from research, from systems, from design, from open source, from anywhere. And I still think that we are not doing as good as we should in terms of facing those innovations to the general public, the customers, clients, developers, data scientists, any, anyone pretty much. So what my team is doing now 
we are getting all the innovation inside IBM right now coming from research, and we are surfacing those innovations to life again to the general community. So pretty soon we are going to be seeing things coming out of my team where we are going to be facing this type of innovation. It could be like through experience, it can be through notebooks, APIs, etc. How I'm curious, how are you going to surface them? What's If you can get into it, what's your plan to raise awareness of that sort of work? I can't say yet. It works. It's coming, but uh, I cannot say much. That's exciting. Is there, are you focusing on the, your particular space like data and I or going beyond that as well? Yes. I'm focusing at first in two pillars. So it's a lot around language, anything around language and LP. And the other pillar is the thrust of the AI piece we have. So those are the two main pillars that I'm focusing right now. Is there anything that you can talk about that you might focus on first or uh, in terms of particular innovations or I'm trying to suss anything out of you. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. So hopefully we'll come up, we'll see something by the end of the year. Consider us a resource. We'd be happy to, to talk more about it as things uh, develop. Okay. Yeah, obviously we'll put some of this onto the new Data and AI podcast, but I'd like to maybe talk around it a little bit, not the specifics, but that what you had just said, and I think advocacy does a great job or has a great platform for being able to talk about these things that it's not really a marketing or an advertising message. So much of what we do is confidential because it's it's client-based or and then after it's done, we can maybe tell a success story from the client or, but so, and maybe open source is why it's really a sweet spot where we can start to talk about these things and promote it because, and, and I would say with AI, there's, we were mentioning it earlier, there's the hype cycles that we've all seen, right, from Gardner reports where you get this peak of inflated expectations and then the trough of disillusionment, and then it, it comes into the plateau of productivity and I would say with AI, especially, I think we're in that trough of disillusionment now where it's like there's a little bit of cynicism because there is a lot of like hype and overpromising and it's like made to be some sort of magic when in reality we, we see that it's it's not easy. It's hard work. You've got to not only do the work to do the thing, but you got to make sure that the fairness and bias is, is considered and who are your users and what is the data. So it's not an easy thing. And what's so crazy, which a message I want to get across about IBM is that because we're functioning at such enterprise scale, we have so much data. We have these real problems of our own, as well as with clients that we're solving. So that's where it's it's hard to tell that story. And I'm excited for you to do it. But if we are the real deal when it comes to implementing like the real AI, not the hype AI. And I'm obviously a, a company man and a fan. So that's why I'm saying this. But it's fascinating that we're going to get to slice and see that because I, I know that it's the truth. And it's like, how do we tell that story? Absolutely. Yes, you, you got it. Absolutely. And we should leverage also like the developers advocates to be helping us facing that. And I see also like there is a gap, especially if you talk about research, there is a gap between the things that come out of research, which is usually like papers, they go to, it's very academic. And then you have product, it's something that it's like scale, you can uh, deploy, you can use it production. But there is a gap here in between, which is where I see the open source and the other things come in and helping facing the in-between. And also, like, not everything that's com coming out of research is going to be 
added to the product. A good number is going to be added to the product, but a lot of things are going to be here research and we should be seeing that. We should be facing that because that it's very interesting and value as well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think Luke and I have talked about doing more work around this to try and surface research and innovation and also the historical stuff. We've been around for a hundred years, a little more than that. So there's so much there we could be talking about and diving into. I'd love it. Exactly. And we are the one that does the most amount of patents every year. So the innovation is there. Yeah. I mean, I think this is virtue as well in that we're We don't toot our own horn a lot, but we should toot it a little bit more than we are. Yes, which is a good thing, but we should definitely let people know what we're doing. Yeah, but I guess that's part of what we do, right? I'm curious. I know you were talking a little bit about stuff that you can't talk about, but what what other things are you excited about and where do you see things developing and and growing and flourishing in in the space that you're working? Let me first talk about something that we are doing, and it was a project that I inherited and now it's happening, which is not going to be related to the things in a way that I'll be doing from now on, but it's something I'm excited about, which is this hackathon that we are doing with the University of Florida. And the registration is open, it's free, and you have access to mentors, to cloud and AI mentors, you have access to domain experts, and the whole hackathon is going to be around climate change. And it's not going to be a one weekend hackathon. It's going to be something that you can develop throughout several weeks. So the deadline to submit your project is end of October. And there is a 100,000 prize pool. So we have like several prizes in, in different categories. And, and also you have access to IBM technologies. Every time you register to the hackathon, you, you get 200 dollars cloud credit to use IBM products, uh, like data and AI products like Watson Studio, Watson Discovery, Watson Assistant, and, and so on. So I'm very excited about this hackathon that we are doing, uh, that it's live. So if anyone that is listening to us is interested in joining us, go to the website and think about this is also the way that I think about, and I get asked all the time, especially by data scientists, is great, I want to move to data science, or I don't have an experience in data science. And everybody, every time I apply to a job, people ask for experience, but I don't have it. And I'm like, okay, so why don't you join this hackathon, for example? And from that hackathon, you can use the projects, the things that you are creating as a way to showcase your knowledge, your skills. So you can get the project that you are going to develop through during this hackathon, and you can put it on in your GitHub profile and create a data science portfolio. So that's a good way for people to create a portfolio. So that's the thing that we are doing right now. That's exciting. I'll also add too that I've found and I encourage people to do these sorts of things is that you get an opportunity to network too. You may pair up with other people. You may interact with other people. Certainly in person, it's a little bit easier, but it's a great opportunity to network. I don't know, Luke, we used to do events and hackathons in the city And uh, his name is escaping me now, but there was one guy who was at at a lot of the events, super nice guy. And lo and behold, I see he enters the call for code and ends up winning Project Owl, I think. Was that the one? Mm -hmm. I was like, hey. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, that uh, we used to have him at our events. A super nice guy, really smart. Look at the work that he's doing now. It's really, it's being successful. And so, yeah, it's a great place to network and, and just really get some experience and build some stuff. And that's, that's important. 
Totally. And you have access to mentors. So you are going to have mentors throughout the time helping you, you not only like on the project creation, but also like answering any question that you have the community around. Again, going back to the community, you once you register to the hackathon, you have access to the whole community. So you can ask questions. So it's a lot of things that you get out of this, which is free. Like the price is a huge deal. All the other things around as important as the price, I would say. Yeah, and mentoring isn't just code. It's like no. thinking through your thoughts and how will this kind of play out and, and how will people use it and you know all the other things that kind of go along with, uh, with building something, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to see what's coming out of this. I would just uh, echo and reaffirm everything you both said and, and also say that it really is, and we saw this in New York City, something that appeals to everybody from the student to the senior folks. I had folks, remember, would come that were like running their own companies and they're like, I come to these to stay fresh, to find out what's going on, to stay current, to even scope for talent at the events. So it's it really, it's a beautiful kind of community event that you're right. It creates this silo where it's like, hey, this is like a little sprint we're going to do here. And if you're newer side of your career or a student, it's a great way to get that real experience, figure out how to work with folks. And if you have something to offer and give, now you can plug in as a mentor. It, it really is. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So I echo everything I just heard. Totally. And as a hiring manager myself, I would be like looking around what people are doing. There is a lot of eyes during this hackathon. So it's a great place for you to be in. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up here too, just to encourage folks. This person's only 12 years old and building stuff, so yeah, keep at it. Get into some of the hackathons, find some mentors, and have fun and build stuff. That's amazing. I, that's amazing to be that that early around technology. I know. I I, I wish I had started that. Early. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Very cool. You were interested in technology, Joe. It was just the guitar. It was like maybe hundreds or thousands of years old. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, we don't have to get into my story, but I played music, I'll say briefly, and just was always like, oh, music will provide a career for me. And what ended up happening is our drummer got a job in tech and brought a laptop home. And I was like, oh, what's this computer thing? Oh, how does this work? And then that's how music actually did provide uh, a path for me and into technology. So it's interesting. Yeah, I have to say I'm very late to the technology. I didn't grow up with computers. I didn't program why until I was probably early 30, on my 30s, yes, 2029. Yeah, I, I'm similar. I was maybe mid to late 20s and I didn't, I, I even took a class in college and was like, meh, whatever. I think the professor was really boring and I was <laughs> like, eh. But it's interesting to, to hear about this and I think to share with people too, that there are a lot of folks I know who are thinking about switching careers and getting into tech. You can do it at any age. And I think going to these sort of hackathons and just building stuff, taking some classes perhaps, or just, I, I did a lot of stuff uh, self-taught. It's, uh, if you find a path, it can be accessible and can be rewarding. And I love the, like the detective aspect of it. If something's not working, you're like, okay, I got to figure this out. Let's start simple and break it down and, and figure out where the problem lies. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's never too late to do what you want. Yeah. I also would say we had a question about where the, the Data in AI podcast will be. And I, I shared this in the chat, but 
we did a season one last year, and now we're going to relaunch a, a season two, and you'll be able to find it here on the IBM Developers uh, Podcast site. Cool. We have maybe another 10 minutes or so. What, what else do you want to talk about, Gabrielle? I want to make sure we get all of your, your stuff in here. AI inclusive, because it's something that I've been invested since 2019, and it, it is still on my day-to-day life. So AI inclusive, it's another organization that I created in I created this one in 2019, where the mission is to increase the representation and participation of minority groups in AI. Why did I decide to to create another organization, given that Our Ladies was up and running very successfully? And let me go back in time a bit. So since 2018, I was involved with AI technologies. And one of the things that I noticed is there is a lot of discussions around discrimination, bias, all the implications of the algorithms. And I noticed that the conversation was very centered in the U.S. and like China, for example. And then we were seeing all these problems, discriminations, especially with underrepresented minorities. And I'm like, this is going to affect not the people in the U.S., only, but the people in those other countries that they are not aware of what is happening. So I was in this uh, state where I need to do something. So then I'm like, why don't I create something similar to our ladies, where I can go and create a community where we can know, share, and learn about, first, create awareness of the implications of AI, so people is aware, because for them, the majority of the people, majority of people they thought that AI was something very futuristic that was not around their lives, which it is indeed. It is around your life every day, all the time, even though you don't notice. So the first piece is around bringing awareness about the problems. And then the second piece is we know that the teams behind AI, the teams that are creating all these algorithms, they are not diverse at all. So how can we change the landscape of the teams? How can we change the landscape of AI? We need to include more people, more diverse people into these teams. Okay, so let's empower those communities, those people to enter into the AI field. And how can we do that? Opportunities, education, for example. So AI inclusive, so we have these two, two pieces. So awareness and empowerment, knowledge, opportunities. In the past two and a half years, we've been focusing on providing scholarships to the community. We, are, we now have around 11,000 members, and we have been partnering with different boot camps, schools, to offer scholarships to the community. So we awarded already 1,000 members with different scholarships from online boot camps to membership for online classes and and so on. So uh, if anyone is interested in joining the community, here's the URL. We also do a lot of events. We have events every month where we talk about AI technologies, where we talk about ethics in AI, where we talk about how to get into AI, how to get into data science. And then we have the whole social media piece where we share also like knowledge, we share about what is happening in the world, what is coming up for us as in terms of scholarships. And 
That's really uh, amazing and awesome. And thank you for doing it. It really is something that we need to be focused on and and working on. Like you said, that so many people in the space are less diverse, I guess you'd say. And whether they mean it or not, that there's implicit bias that comes along with that. It's not necessarily that people are bad actors always, but you just need more diverse voices at the table to get more diverse you know, output. So I'm curious if folks are interested in learning more and getting more involved, what would that look like, whether they are interested in just attending and and being involved? And what would it mean for someone who wants to be to do more? And maybe leadership isn't the right word, but if they wanted to be more active, like a chapter or or what have you, tell me more about how folks can get involved. We were mentioning all of this is volunteer based, so we don't get paid, and it's a lot of work. I would say that with our ladies and now with AI inclusive, I would say that I would invest every week 10, 20 hours of my time on creating the community. So it's a huge deal, and we need volunteers to help us keep the organization running. So if anyone is interested in on a more global level, just get in touch with us through email or, or can send me a message. If they want to be more on the city chapter level, they can also send us an email. And because of the pandemic, we that on hold because right now we are not meeting in person. But once we go back, then the chapters are going to be crucial because the only way for you, and that from my experience with our ladies, the only way that you can change people's life in certain communities is if you have local representatives, like people in the community, because they the only way that we can get to that specific community, very small maybe, or in, in somewhere that we can, the internet, maybe it's not stable or they don't have computers. The only way is through the local communities. We now have four chapters for the AI inclusive. Once the pandemic is over, we are going to be accelerating this process of creating chapters and providing support and and being there for the community. Yeah, that's great. I would encourage anyone who has an interest in this to, to definitely reach out. And like you said, think about globally, but also be planning for locally, because I think in time, hopefully we can spend time together again. And wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And it's so interesting. Like our ladies, we heard several stories on like how the community was impactful uh, for their careers, for their lives. So there are so many stories on chapter city-based community was essential for them. Because some places, and I have a few examples, even back in Brazil, like we don't have computers, for example. So how do you learn how to program? How can you get into AI if you don't have computers, if you don't have internet? Right. So we are lacking the some places we are lacking the basic so how do you change that so it's a it's a struggle but if you have this community where let's say we we have one computer people can share or even if you are there, there was a few like an event that i remember somewhere i think it was indonesia where someone was in the whiteboards or the blackboards writing programming language but they didn't have a computer yet they all had cell phones but not a computer so that was very interesting Yeah. Wow. That's a good segue too. We have a question here about getting into AI and whether you need more technology or other skills. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, Gabriela. Yeah. I'm a huge advocate of like other skills than the technical skills. 
because we do talk a lot about you need to know this, and especially AI. If you look at the job description, they are going to ask for so many technologies. And how do you highlight yourself? How you uh, differentiate yourself from the crowd? And I would say that, sure, technology, the tech skills are good, but there are other skills, what people sometimes say, the soft skills, which I call essential skills, they are as important as the tech knowledge. The other piece that I want to mention is, again, we have the whole hype around AI, and there are a lot of buzzwords and, and people talking about deep learning and computer vision. But if you go back to the companies, the majority of the companies, they are not there yet. They are still doing, or the, the, the bulk of their work as data scientists or AI developers, the bulk of the work is around querying the data, getting the data, acquiring the data, cleaning the data, make sure the data is in a form that you can use. And one of the challenges that we are seeing in the new, which is the new frontier on AI, because right now we need loads, tons of data to create a deep learning model. So the big challenge right now that we have to, the, the next big thing is, can we create a model using less data? So anyway, all, all that to say that, Technical skills are good, but don't forget the other piece, the soft, essential skills that are as good as the tech skill. I like that you call it essential skills. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. I'm going to borrow that. Yeah, I don't like the soft because for me, they are not soft. They are like hardcore, you know? Yeah, the, there's an old saying, computers are easy, people are hard. That's where the soft skills are. Totally. Being a manager is sure. I love it but it's one of the hardest jobs in the world because you are dealing with people. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things I talk about when I give talks about open source is that's a skill that you develop working in open source. Like you don't share a manager with this person that you can go talk to. You got to figure it out and, and learn to deal with people and move things forward with a variety of personalities. It's hard. It's not soft skills. It's hard skills. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. So I think we're about out of time. This has been a fantastic conversation, though, and I'm looking forward to many more podcasts with you, Gabrielle. This is going to be great launching this uh, new Data and AI podcast. I can't wait. That's exciting. Cool. Well, I um, really enjoyed chatting with you, Gabriella, and let us know what you want to come back on. I know you'll have your own podcast, and that's cool, but if you ever want to come back on and talk about some exciting stuff, I'd, I'd love to dig more in. Yeah, thank you very much. And I have to say that I'm a fan of you, too. So let me do my fan moment here and say thank you. <laughs> thank you for all the work that you have been doing. Thank you. That's very sweet. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Gabriella. Thank you, Luke. And I guess we'll call it a day, eh? Awesome. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye.